Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. Children's home. I could list maybe a hundred of them, 
But, but the reality is when we're making decisions like that, do those things really matter? Are, are, are those the criteria that we use to say yes or no to a call of God? There's really, for the believer, there's only one thing that matters ultimately is, is what does God say? And is what God's saying or what is God calling, is what he's saying or what he, is what he is calling you know, equivalent or, or, or supported by the word of God? And if it is, the question then becomes, will I do it or will I not do it? And so we did it. And I can tell you this, it was, a, it was a, like any time that we, we, we follow the call of God, there's obviously lots of obstacles. There's lots of things that can be, that can be seemingly hindering the path of the way. But there's also comes with it the satisfaction of knowing that you're walking and doing what God wants you to do. And we, we can't equate the call of God with ease. We, we can't equate the call of God with things just working out, although they are. In fact, we have a, a great time. In, in the next month, we'll have two families moving to Henderson to, um, to begin exclusive fostering, intentional fostering, um, intensive fostering for families for children who have um, a, a difficult time staying in their placements. And um, it is our intention to highly support these families and to put them in a place where it's going to have the best opportunity for the children to find a level of permanency. And um, in, in the case of these families, I've known both for over 20 years, and they come with, um, with a, a high degree of recommendation so you'll you'll be learning more about the two families in the coming um, in the next month or so as you see them moving into the community we went through a licensing review last week in fact our, our board isn't even completely aware of this yet but we we had the state come out and do a foster care licensing review and we got a green light and um, and it's amazing how simple that process went given the fact that we're dealing with the state and also, um, we looked at the, at the residential care. That's a part that you're familiar with about grace, about children living in residence. And we've been given the green light to proceed with licensing there. In fact, most of our licensing operations now, or, or um, process is now complete. And they were very, very impressed with where we are at. And so we're excited to move forward with that as well. So... Anyway, that's kind of where grace is, and we want to continue to um, partner with the heart of God for that population of, of young people that do not have uh, or are not able to live in their, um, in their natural family, whether that be biological or adoptive family. So we're excited to be able to partner with that. And this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Jonah. As, as I was praying and, and asking the Lord, what would be an appropriate passage that would be somewhat related to responding to the great need that's out there and, and thinking through about what are the hindrances that we have in our own lives of, of saying yes to God, of following the heart of God? What are the hindrances that we find? What are the obstacles that we find? And the Lord really put the story of Jonah um, on my heart and and so I would just like to look at the first, really the first three verses this morning in, in the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a familiar story, and, and that's a scary thing, you know, the dangerous thing about speaking on stories that are familiar. I don't want you to just go to the place 
and, and relive the story of Jonah for the sake of, of understanding the story. Our goal is not to understand that Jonah got swallowed by a, a large fish and, and vomited up on a shore, you know, um, three days later. The story is much greater than that. That's the, the historical narrative, and I, I see no reason to believe it's not a historical, historical narrative. I believe that the events of Jonah actually happened. I believe also that, they're, that they're, they typify or, or give us insight in some greater things that are going on, the nature of man's relationship to the call of God. Specifically, why is it? Why is it that when, when God speaks to our hearts, what are the hindering forces at work? What keeps us from fulfilling the mandate of God to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into all of the world? What, what are the things that hinder us from the practical standpoint from the humanity standpoint and I think Jonah exposes us to some very very uncomfortable things that we have to come to terms with as believers I think each of us wherever we are and whatever God has called you to do your specific role in the kingdom of God we have to answer the question what is holding me back from fulfilling that ultimate desire that God has for our life and so let me just open up in by reading a a couple of verses here in the book of Jonah, and then um, we'll talk about we'll talk about the about facing the inadequacy and being unprepared for the call that God gives to us in our life. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come." up before me. So Jonah packed his bags and he went to Nineveh and fulfilled the call of God in his life. The end. Right? But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. For the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, little G, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. You could put in parentheses, where God was not. And had lain down and was fast asleep, or so he thought. Have you ever had a, a trial, and a, maybe a, something that you're carrying around, a task from God that was, seemed larger than life? Something that perhaps you didn't feel you had the ability or the capacity to carry, or maybe that you lacked the power to, to to fulfill, to carry out. I think all of us, if we would pause for a moment and think about something, like example, how many of you prepare to be parents and to raise children in this world? <laughs> really? I mean, my, my first daunting task as a young person, the, this first immense task I had was when my mom made me clean my bedroom for the first time. It was like, you got to be kidding me. Where does all this, these little toys go? And besides, I had a cricket population that I kept in my room. And, 
and all the other stuff. I was hiding from her, and, and you know, it's a little squirt. And I was like, uh, this task seemed insurmountable and, and, and so unprepared and unqualified to carry it out. And then I got then I got married. Well, not then I was older. And yeah, I don't know. I might have been taller then. I'm getting old now, so it's short and getting short. But, but yeah, I was, you know, the, the whole task of uh, of, of mar- being married, and it's like I thought marriage is like two people fall in love, you just go off, and life's life's great. And I realized, well, no, actually, married people can argue. You, I know you guys don't, but I mean, you actually can in real life. There, there's disagreements that happen. You have to work through and settle them. You have to, you, you have to be humble, and you have to be teachable, and you. And I'm still trying to learn those things after nearly 40 years of being married. And then we had kids, not after 40 years, but almost. But nevertheless, we had kids and then like parenting. I mean, little kids are so cute and they grow up and they're like babies and you coddle them. I love babies and I see a baby, I just want to hold the baby. And I just love little children. And, and then there's this enormous task of thinking that, that God is, is calling you to equip and to shape this life into something that's going to relate to society and with him and with other people and, and be part of the kingdom and, the, and, the, and, the, and this whole sense of being inadequate and underprepared starts to come over you. And then you sit down for a meal with your parents and this kid starts to grow up, you know, and, and you sit down for a meal with your parents and, there's, and this kid develops this thing called a will. And the, the will is inside them and it's ugly. And the, and the kid starts to grow up and they start to expose that will. And there's your parents saying, he just turns out just like you. There's a lot of tasks in life that, are, that we've been called to that we're utterly unprepared for. Some of you have been given some enormous tasks in life. Some of you have been given the task of bearing the death of somebody that's close to you. And it's something that you feel completely inadequate to do. Or some of you have been given the task of bearing a a very, very serious illness. It's not something you signed up to do. And we write our our narratives in life and we we pray and we, we try to write them in pen and God hands us a pencil and says, write them in a pencil in pencil because I have the eraser. And we would never script in life the things that God has scripted for us, but in all of that, he has a plan. He has a plan. Some of you have been given the task of bearing broken relationships that have taken you to the core and it hurts. And so you didn't plan to do this, but that's that's what God gave you to carry. See, those are all examples of tasks that we'd rather run from. We're really not different from, 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 from Jonah. God hasn't called us to go to Nineveh and, and preach repentance, but he has called us to the ends of the earth. He's called us to partner with his heart that is pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, that you visit orphans and widows in their, in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. We think that's a huge task. How do we possibly do that? We haven't been called to Nineveh, but we've called to bear other tasks. And we can relate to Jonah because Jonah wanted to hide and he wanted to run. That was his response. And honestly, I don't blame him. Nineveh was a city proper of 1,800 acres. 
with a hundred foot high wall, 50 feet wide. You could run three chariots side by side all the way around. In one of the walls, there was 15 gates going through. A, a network of rivers run underneath of the Tigris River was one. And, and, and aqueducts to furnish water for the, for the city. 120,000 people lived inside those 1,800-acre walls and maybe another 400,000 outside in the suburb areas. This is just right across the river from Mosul, Iraq, in case you want to go there. I wouldn't recommend it. Not certainly now. <laughs> Unless God would be calling you to go there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We don't know, we don't know how, do we? It's just Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of God came to Jonah, and he perceived that God was speaking to him. We don't know how. This might have been after the fact when he when he wrote down the events of this book, maybe in the third person, which is written in, but but perhaps it's uh, Jonah wrote it and and uh, is talking about looking reflecting back and saying, Yeah, this is I distinctly remember the call of God to go to, to Nineveh and the thought that I cannot follow the call of God. I cannot go where God sends me because it's too hard. What are the criteria that we use? Think about that. What are the criteria that we use in discerning whether God is speaking to us or not? Oftentimes it's a, it's a, a series of, of mystical uh, things that people come up with, I say, well, I, this happened and this happened, so this must be God. And, 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 and Jonah had concluded, whatever it is that God had called him, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and maybe it came through another prophet we do not know, although Jonah is listed as a minor prophet. It's really not a book of prophecy, just a book of history. But we see the first the first principle that comes up here is that in God's call to arise and go to Nineveh, that the wickedness of this people had come up before God and, and that God, God cared about this, the people in Nineveh. And at first glance, that seems pretty easy to grab, doesn't it? That God cared about this people in this wicked city. No, no, listen. God loved the people of Nineveh. You see, he doesn't view the city like we view the city. I think of Nineveh, and it's a, it's a horrible city. In fact, turn over two books to the right. I'm going to throw this in free this morning. Go to the book of Nahum. Nahum's all about Nineveh. Fast forward a hundred years, chapter three. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victim never, its victim never departs. The noise of a whip the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the bodies. Because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations to her harlotries and families to her sorceries. Friends, that is not a good review of a city. You won't find this in the travel guide for Nineveh. Okay, they're not going to publish that. That's God's view of Nineveh. That's God's view of the treachery of the people that has come up. And God has chosen Jonah to go there and proclaim repentance to the city. Now, I don't know how you would feel about Nineveh, but I know how I would feel. You know, I'm doing fine in Henderson. 
It's all good here. I mean, it's a, it's a nice, sanitary, quaint place. Let's don't disrupt it by sending me over to Nineveh. I don't have anything in relation to those people. God says, but I love those people. And I want you to go there and proclaim repentance. Wouldn't that be a great call to go to? To say, you know what, folks, I'm standing up here today. I'm going to share with you God's called me to Nineveh. He's going to bring great destruction to that city. And and if I don't go and proclaim repentance, then then they're going to perish. What an incredible ministry opportunity, right? Or is that how we really feel about people? I think, number one, there are no ordinary tasks to which God calls his people. There are no ordinary tasks to which God calls his people. It doesn't matter whether you're called to Nineveh, whether you're called to stay here and and help out an orphan, or or whether God calls you to to plant corn to the glory of God and support his kingdom by gathering people together and encouraging and worshiping in a fellowship such as this. There are no ordinary tasks in the kingdom of God because every person and every place has a priority and, and a function in the kingdom to work together to bring glory to God. And all you're doing is saying yes to what God has for your place in that, in that equation. And that's a beautiful place to be. But what is it that holds us back from fulfilling that? I mean, I always read through Scripture and wonder, why does God call insignificant people to accomplish great tasks? I mean, Moses, he was a murderer and a stutterer. Gideon, he was a coward, threshing wheat in the wine press. I'm from an insignificant family, the smallest tribe, and my family's the smallest clan. Besides that, I'm scared of the Midianites. David was a shepherd boy called to fight a giant. Do you ever feel inadequate for the task that God has called you to? I think it should let us understand this, that God often chooses insignificant people to show his significance and the difficult tasks to show his power. Why is it that God chooses those people like us to carry out his tasks? Doesn't he, I mean, don't we have this idea that somehow if I'm going to go to Nineveh or whatever task I've been called to, that I've got to be trained and prepared and have all this and all everything in the row? Besides, if I have enough power and enough strength, enough education, enough this, enough that, that somehow I'm going to do a better job of doing it. And that's a fallacy that we get in in our thinking, that somehow it's about us and not about God, not about his power, not about his calling, his provision, his glory, his everything. All we need to be is available. Was there a job interview for Jonah? No. He was just, God chose him. God chose Jonah. In fact, in fact, you know, when Jonah, when Jonah bailed and, and went to Tarshish, which, by the way, is the opposite direction uh, of Nineveh, you know, w- when he went there, I mean, God, and he, and he goes to the bottom of the ocean with this, in the belly of this fish, um, he's 17,800 feet below sea level. Right? You think of the distance that God went to retrieve. I mean, if I was God, I'd be like, good place for you rot in the belly of the fish. I'll get somebody else who's faithful. See, that's the perspective we have. That's the world's perspective, and that's man's perspective. I'm going to find out who's available, and who's willing, and who's this, and who's 
who's got the qualities, and God says, I just want to choose someone to show my significance and my power through. And he does that all through Scripture. You can't miss it when you're, when you're reading the Word of God. You think, you chose him? That's unbelievable. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the base things of the world or the weak things of the world but to put together the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's a great passage for somebody like me. Not born into a Christian family, and um, got saved working in the penitentiary right down the road in Lincoln. I was, I was there on the installment plan eight hours at a time. Don't get worried. Spent ten years in prison. I was preaching once in, in the college chapel at Lancaster Bible College. And I, I told the story. So after ten years of prison, I got released. And I thought everyone knew I was an employee. And there was a lady there. And, you know, she was crying. That's such a wonderful story of God's redemption in your life. And I'm like, sorry. No, I just went to work there. My dad would have killed me if I would have done something like that. Huh. So, but, but thinking about that, you know, and growing up in the home of an alcoholic father who died when I was 18, and thinking, how, how do I have a chance in the kingdom of God? How can God, when, when God began to call us in the ministry, is like, you know, I, I just told Cindy, she came to me one day, she said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? I said, you know, it's really odd, but I've been, I, God's been working on my heart about this. And she said, he has me too. And so I quit the Federal Bureau of Prisons or working for them and stationed in Pennsylvania and just went to Bible college and, and ended up, you know, down the road as a pastor. It's amazing, you know, thinking back now that, that um, I mean, I tried so many ways to get out of that. To get out of ful fulfilling that calling on, in my life. And yet God continues to bring us back to that. Why is God concerned about the people that we call undesirable? Because Nineveh was a, obviously a pagan city. But their sin had risen to the Lord. And, and isn't it, you know, from our perspective, just best to give them over to their sin and their ungodliness? Isn't that what we do? Did you ever write off people in small towns? I know, I, I, I love small town ministry. We do that. People move into our community, and we think, oh, they're just unreachable. They're just unreachable. Nobody, they're, they're not going to get saved. Really, whom did Christ die for? You know, we, we have that perspective that somehow those people are just different than we are. In fact, in fact, if we were honest, there are some people that we, we relegate, you know what, I just don't even really want God to save them. Because I want my you know, unrighteous anger to be vindicated by, by them going on to an eternity without Christ. And the reality is, God loved the people of Nineveh. It is by his great love for those people that he rose up Jonah and he called him to send him to the city. God is so different than what we are. We judge them, we accuse them, we condemn them. But when we look at people who are not like us, we oftentimes see their sin and, and despise them. Number three, God places intrinsic value 
Okay, I'm going to move fast, and then I'm going to pull the ripcord here, okay? Your, your, your roast won't burn today. But, but listen, God places an intrinsic value on every person in the world he loves. When you're getting ready to go into Genesis, I, I talked with Pastor Luke about that. What an incredible, what an incredible foundation to see the Imago Dei, the image of God, divinely stamped, marred by sin, marred by hurt, marred by the world, you know, overrun by so many things, but the, but the, but the, but the Imago Dei stamped, the image of God stamped in humanity. And there's only one conclusion that that person has intrinsic value and worth regardless of the culture, the heritage, the ethnicity, the language, the country, or any other socio-political boundaries that we put on them. That person has intrinsic value and worth and, and from God's perspective, and we should have the same for them as well. It's a beautiful place to be. It's, it's foundational for how we live and operate in a small town or a large city. Having that, that, that clear picture because of their lostness, though, that God is now in pursuit of them. So let's put Jonah's God-sized task in perspective. God is calling us to give up our comfortable lifestyle and pursue people who are not like us, who are not like us, who are different than you and I. He's asking you to step out of your comfort zone, become an ambassador. He's calling you to a task in which you feel horribly uncomfortable and maybe inadequate. But I hope it's hope it's caring for a child and, and that's what I principally do I hope it's whatever God wants it for your life that you're willing to say you know what I, I, I'm willing to answer it might be you know what just being standing up and being a strong believer in the school saying you know what I'm I, the kids are doing this and they're doing that but I'm not choosing I'm going to choose to do this because this is what God wants me to do and having the courage and the faith to do that Jonah answers in verse 3. He arises. I love this. I love this. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship. He paid the fare. He went down in it and he fled. What's wrong with that? He, he didn't steal the money, right? He just, he just went. I'm going to Joppa. I know I can find a ship there. He went down there. He paid the fare, his own money. He got on the ship, and the ship sailed away. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty dangerous, uh, pretty dangerous theology, but man has a tendency to believe this, that if things are going forward, then God must be, must be in it. Have you ever thought that? Ever heard somebody ask? Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's an open door. I have the money to pay the ship. You know, there's a boat in Joppa right here. It's an open door. God's providing. Uh-huh. Keep walking down that path of, of uh, theological, uh, I call it lightning theology. You know, if God doesn't strike me dead, then he must be for it. That's a dangerous way to live, isn't it? But, but here, Jonah justified it. And, and, and you know, God's not calling us to the end of it, but listen, we've got to translate this and put this in our own, in our own lives today. Are, are you justifying the activity of your life through the fact that nothing bad is happening. Because that's dangerous theology. It's, it's possible, and this is in your life, it's possible to be out of the will of God and still have circumstances that seem to work in your behalf. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time. People get down there, and they, they get to the final end, end of the road, and they're like, how in the world did I get here? There's no way God wanted me to do that or do this or do that. But, but I ended up here, and I thought it was the will of God because we, we oftentimes temper God's voice to us or God's will for us experientially. It just, it just seemed to work out. Everything appeared to work. Well, it sure wasn't working for Jonah, and it sure appeared to work. He made it to Joppa. They found the ship. He paid the fare. They let him board. It's my time. It's my money. It's my choice. But why did he go? It's also in there as well. You know, poor theology leads to idiocy, really. Because think about this. He went there to flee the presence of the Lord. Now, let's do some little theology lesson here, okay? You guys are good theologians. Uh, is it possible to flee from the presence of the Lord? According to Psalm 139. Is it possible? Is God omnipresent? If God is omnipresent, and by the way, if you're, if you're, con- if you're not sure about that, just read, keep reading through the book of Jonah this afternoon. You get to the part where Jonah is down ar- around the moorings of the sea, the foundation, 17,800 feet below sea level. And, and um, he's having a, a conversation with God, who's obviously down there too. So, so Jonah has this perspective. If I run, I can flee the presence of God. I believe that there are people that come to Henderson to flee the presence of the Lord. I can come here and hide in plain sight. We had some thugs that, that escaped from prison in, um, in Ohio that came through Nebraska 10 years ago, and um, three of them, and uh, sunk a hammer in the back of one of the, one of the guards' heads and made off with a bunch of, uh, got, got some guns and other things. They ended up in, in Mullen, Nebraska. Population 400, 780 in the whole county. And that's when there's a home football game. And they're all there, by the way. But, but do you think you're going to hide out in a town of 450 people, really? I mean, one guy's six foot five. I'm a tobacco farmer from North Carolina. No, you're not. You're an escapee from the Branchville Correctional Facility in Indiana. You know, they thought they were going to hide out. People think they can hide out. You can't hide out. Jonah came to this thought, you know what? I could just hide from the Lord. Nobody's going nobody's to see me. God won't see me in Tarshish. You know, Tarshish is as far, as, as far west from, from uh from Nineveh that you can get. I mean, it's as far west as, it's then the end of the then known world. It's on the Atlantic Ocean side of Spain. I mean, the ships don't go further than that. That's as far as it goes. Surely God's not there. I'll just hide out here and somehow this, that, that, that God's eye will escape me. And um, it's not really possible to flee from the presence of the Lord because, the, and that, and by the way, that means that there's either great fear or great boldness in the presence of God. That's the only thing it can mean if you think about that. If, if, God is, if, if God is present everywhere, you can have great fear of him or great boldness. And Jonah was afraid. I'll just run. In Scripture, there's a reoccurring um, picture of the inadequacy of men to fulfill the calling of God. I mean, you think about Adam. Where are you? I, I hide in 
I'm hiding. Moses, Lord, I, I can't do that. I'm a stutter. David, I'm just a boy. Jeremiah was afraid. God said that he was a prophet from the time he was in his mother's womb. Jeremiah's response was, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a, I'm only a youth. I'm just a kid. Ezekiel, the Lord said, you'll sit on thorns and briars and scorpions. And Ezekiel said, I love this. I went in the bitterness of the heat in my spirit and I was overwhelmed for seven days. I think I would be too. Amos, I love his call. He's up there speaking to a, a wicked priest in the northern kingdom. And the priest says, you know, why don't you just go about 10 miles back south of Judah where you're from? And Amos looked at him, at, looked at Amaziah and he says, I was no prophet, neither was I the son of a prophet. But I was a herdsman and a tender of the sycamore tree. And let me, let me translate that. That means I was a hired man. I didn't have my own land. I worked for somebody else. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock and said, go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I thought that's boldness because, because Amos understood that, that the omnipresence of God accompanied him to wherever he called him to. And the same is true for you. I don't know where you're going tomorrow or the next day or the day after that or, or what's ahead of you in your future, but I want you to know this. Walk out of here today knowing this, that the presence of God will bring either great fear or great boldness, but he is present. He is present wherever you're going. He's present with whatever you're going through. And that's one of the great lessons from Jonah that we need to have, find the courage to take that step, to take that next step of faith and belief and to move forward in life of understanding God's there. If he's omnipresent and, he ex and he's eternal, that way he's in the beginning and the end, God's already at the conclusion. He's already in eternity. Eternity is before, it's above, it's below, it's after, it's all around, it's beside. It sounds like a passage from Isaiah 42, doesn't it? But the reality is, is God is there. And if God is there in the future already, can you not trust him? Are you not actually going to God? And... Um, Jonah needed to understand that. Jonah fled because he was afraid. And fear has a way of controlling what we do. Man is never going to embrace the call of God when they believe the task is bigger than their view of God. This is a God-sized task. This is a task too big for, for me. It has to be a God-sized task. And that perspective gives you the boldness and the confidence to step forward. But if you believe the task is, is bigger than God and it's up to you, then there's no way you're going to have the faith to do it. You have to believe, to believe that, that God is capable, that he is able. Oftentimes people fear the task more than they fear God, and they limit God on the basis of their own abilities. As I grow in capacity, God grows in ability. No, that's poor theology. Or God's strength is only limited by my own strength and preparation. No, he's not, thankfully. It's a difficult job. But the reality is Jonah just, he just didn't like the Assyrians who lived there in Nineveh. In conclusion this morning, let me give you number three here, the greatest of the task. Greatness of the task is never an excuse to disobey. Disobey the Lord. Think about this, the ultimate example. I mean, it's it's obvious. The ultimate example in this, the ultimate task that was given was the Lord Jesus Christ, who left the glories of heaven to come to this earth to, to fulfill the mission of redemption for you. 
fulfill the task of dying and suffering on the cross, to be the perfect substitution for sin for you and for me. That if we put our faith and trust in him alone, in his death and resurrection, that he then gives to us the gift of eternal life. What an incredible... Think about if, think about if the Lord Jesus didn't fulfill the mission that God the Father sent him. Obviously, he couldn't be God the Son if he didn't. But the point is clear is that God intends us to fulfill the mission and the difficulty of the task is not the criteria that determines whether we go or not. Jesus, Jesus and he says, I've got the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. No one takes it of me, but I do it freely of my own will. If you wait until you feel prepared, you're probably going to be waiting your entire life to do what God asks you to do. We came to Grace Children's Home. I don't, I don't feel prepared. Feel prepared to be involved in the lives of, uh, of children and parents and, and uh, the state and all this. I don't, I'm not prepared at all. But God is capable. God is capable of doing his work through insignificant people to do significant things in the lives of others. And I don't know if you've ever seen the heart of a child changed. But I'm telling you what I have. And if you ever, if you ever see the heart of a person changed, it doesn't matter how many bad things you can say about their parents, but God will give you the strength to go through. And God is equally concerned about the one he calls as he is with the outcome of the task he calls him to. Think about that. God is equally concerned about the person he has called you as he is to the outcome of the task. You think, God doesn't need me. God chooses to use me. He chooses to use you in doing whatever he's called you to do. It's his, it's his choice. He wants to use you. And to think about that, he is concerned, equally concerned about you as he is about what you're going to do. And that's a revolutionary thought when it comes to ministry. And obviously the third conclusion is the remedy for fear is faith. It's always faith. That faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? And the evidence or the proof of things not seen. You don't need to see the end if you can see the God who sends you. Father, bless this congregation. Give them the strength uh, wherever they are today to fulfill your calling in their lives. Glorify yourself as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.